In addiction treatment, what are some of the actual skills and therapies we use to help people? For today's episode of Through the Trees, we explore the innovative treatment curriculum of DBT and the 12 Steps, developed by clinical nurse specialist Barry Platter. Functioning as an integrative approach, this form of therapy is especially useful for patients seeking guidance in the areas of mindfulness, distress tolerance, emotional regulation, and relationships. Addiction treatment healthcare is vast territory, much of it having yet to be fully charted. It also is a field with some of the most passionate and interesting of clinicians. Each week, we walk the addiction treatment trails, learning from experts of all backgrounds and specialties. My name is Pat Failing, and I'm an addiction psychiatrist for Cedar in the University of Colorado. You're listening to Through the Trees, the Cedar Addiction Treatment Podcast. Well, I'm happy to join today to our show, Barry Platter. Barry is a clinical nurse specialist for the University of Colorado Hospital and the University of Colorado College of Nursing. Barry has multiple decades of experience uh, working in mental health care, ranging from uh, clinical work and working with patients, uh, educational work and supervising uh, people in the educational curriculum, and then also on a pretty high level of developing the curriculums that we use in care, and especially at the CEDAR program. Barry uh, was the recipient of the 2016 Florence Nightingale Award, which is the most prestigious honor for nursing and education in the state of Colorado. Uh, welcome to our show here, Barry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, so today, we're really going to focus a little bit on uh, one of the advanced curriculums that Barry has developed, which is an integrated therapy blending principles of dialectical behavioral therapy, which is DBT, and 12-step. And 12-step is kind of the largest peer support model. We think of that as uh, with Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. Really excited to talk about this and how we deliver it at CEDAR and how it all works so that uh, I think people can have greater understanding. So, Barry, tell me a little bit about this, about this curriculum. Well, so Dr. Failing, you know, when, when we opened CEDAR, we decided that we wanted to have a dialectical behavior therapy or DBT group as it is very commonly integrated into addiction treatment programs. We hired a consultant who came in to do the groups uh, because at the time I was working on our inpatient psychiatric unit. Uh, she uh, did traditional DBT and it actually didn't go very well because DBT has a special language of its own and patients who were trying to learn the language of 12-step, getting through withdrawal, having cognitive uh, challenges related to uh, the consequences of substance use, really weren't getting DBT. So uh, when her contract ended, the executive director asked me to step in and start doing the group as I had been intensively trained in uh, DBT when I was working in the inpatient area. One of the things that I did was start to think about how I might do the group a little bit differently. And so I went through my uh, 
big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I actually started finding DBT skills within the big book. Got pretty excited about that and started integrating some of the readings from the big book into the DBT groups. Patients were really receptive, and it really fit with the um, programming that they were receiving in other parts of the CEDAR program. I asked uh, for one of the staff to co-facilitate with me. He introduced me to the Narcotics Anonymous basic text. And again, we found DBT skills within that text and started to integrate that into the program as well. We published a couple of articles and then Hazelden, which is a large addiction treatment program, international, uh, has its own publishing house and asked us to write a curriculum uh, that integrates these two models. The reason that these two models work really well together is that DBT, which was an approach founded by Dr. Marshall Linehan, is a therapy approach that works especially well for people who have emotion dysregulation issues, which many of our patients uh, in uh, CEDAR have. There's a lot of evidence-based research that shows that DBT is an effective approach to use with people with substance use disorder, as well as lots of other uh, psychiatric uh, diagnoses. And then 12-step or 12-step facilitation has been used for many, many years, starting with Hazelden, back to Hazelden, um, and the Minnesota model in terms of uh, using the spiritual principles of 12-step in pro- therapeutic programming. So it sounds like you identified a need in the the collection of people that we were working with in the hospital, and this need involved uh, embracing 12-step principles at the same time as some of the things that DBT was good at, I guess uh, uh, helping people regulate emotions, helping people tolerate distress, building mindfulness skills. Is that correct? Is, is that kind of how this... Yes, absolutely. So... There are four different modules in DBT. Mindfulness, which is training oneself to stay focused and present in the moment. Uh, Distress tolerance skills, which is learning to use skills to decrease the intensity of the emotional distress that we're feeling so that we can more effectively address the situations that arise in our lives. Interpersonal effectiveness, being able to stay in relationship even when we're having conflict with other people and to uh, communicate effectively, and then emotion regulation skills, which really is an overarching module that helps people use a variety of skills to stay in a balanced state. And, And I know a lot of the people we have are in, I think, a pretty moderate to maybe even quite severe crisis in their life, and they could benefit from a lot of this. Um, just to be able to make treatment successful for them, and then to be able to bridge it forward towards their long-term health. Many of our patients present with limited coping skills and pretty intense emotion dysregulation. Uh, Using drugs and alcohol, acting out, lashing out, and isolating have been their survival strategies that they've been using because they don't have those uh, healthier or more effective skills to regulate their emotions and soothe themselves when they're distressed. Oh, very good. So, okay, so we established a need. We wanted to find ways to add some clinical support to everybody we were working with. And then it sounds like you looked at a lot of the principles of 12-step and saw a lot of great parallels that you were able to draw out of and then find a, a way of almost building something new 
is the is the model that you use of of blending DBT and twelve step is this more than just them combined together? Is this some sort of a hybrid uh, curriculum? Uh, yeah, great question. So in addition to being an integration model, a lot of the skills have been adapted from traditional DBT to really more effectively address the needs of people who have the disease of addiction. So for example, with interpersonal effectiveness, the goal of interpersonal effectiveness in traditional DBT is how to get what you want, quote unquote. And um, that doesn't work well for the patients that we're working with because um, we know that manipulative behavior is uh, often part of what happens in active addiction. So we changed the goals in interpersonal effectiveness to a three-pronged approach, keeping relationships, coping with conflict, and negotiating with others. In the distress tolerance skills, which are skills to use to decrease emotional intensity uh, and tolerate those distressing things that happen in our lives, there wasn't a skill of reaching out to others. And, you know, uh, addiction is a disease of isolation. And so we want people to learn how to ask for help, be vulnerable, and move out of isolation. So we added the skill uh, called seeking guidance, which helps patients recognize the benefit of connecting with others, other people in recovery, uh, healthcare professionals, uh, people in the community, faith-based support so that they can uh, get their needs met in connection with other people. DBT was developed in the the mid-90s. Do I have this right? It was kind of a version of cognitive behavioral therapy originally, and then it grew so much that it kind of became its own force, if you will. And it was very skill-based, like very teaching. Yeah, absolutely. So Marsha Linehan is a behavioral therapist, and she started off doing cognitive behavioral therapy with the population she was working with. What she found was that CBT, while incredibly helpful, really didn't get at all of the different areas that she felt the uh, people that she was working with uh, needed support with. So she actually... um, went to a Zen Buddhist monastery in Japan and lived there for a year, studied Zen Buddhism and those spiritual principles, integrated that into her model, particularly in the mindfulness modules. She also uh, really uh, looked at the theoretical underpinnings of a lot of other uh, approaches that we uh, typically use, solution-focused therapy, motivational interviewing, um, and uh, psychodynamic psychotherapy to really um, add to uh, CBT, which she was using in her current practice. You know, a lot of those things are so useful in addiction recovery treatment as is. So it, it seems like it was like a wonderful Uh, blend, I guess, in what we do in helping people quit their substance use. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the interesting things that we found when we were writing the curriculum is that uh, the goal of DBT is to have a life worth living. The goal uh, of Narcotics Anonymous is to have a life worth living in recovery. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Very similar. (laughs) Yes. So I guess it it was very fitting as a parallel. Yes. Um, So I guess almost like we have CBT... That was developed, I guess, in the very late 70s, early 80s out of Pennsylvania. DBT was almost mm-hmm. like t- uh, version 2.0 of getting more <laughs> advanced. And now we're, I don't know, what would you call this, a 3.0 or a 2.5 maybe? Yeah, I, I'd call it a 2.5 because we are um, uh, really 
utilizing the parts of 12-step philosophy and 12-step literature that uh, round out uh, what's effective for working with people with substance use disorders. Okay, well, perfect. How long have we been doing this here at the hospital? So we started uh, doing these integration groups about 10 years ago, and in that time, we have updated and adapted the modules to be more effective for patients based on their feedback. And the patients go to the DBT 12-step group twice a week. One group focuses on mindfulness and distress tolerance. The other focuses on interpersonal effectiveness. And then the patients also use the worksheets. There's 79 of them in individual sessions with their therapists, with the counselors, and um, and on their own. They have a workbook with all of those worksheets. Oh, so, so very good. So it really is a whole uh, curriculum or a whole course that they can use to uh, give uh, a little bit of a structure, I guess, to some of their treatment? Yeah, absolutely. So, for example, mm-hmm. if uh, one of our uh, patients in our primary program is having um, a difficulty in the evening regulating uh, his or her affect, is feeling a lot of distress, the staff may uh, ask the patient to pull out their workbook and look at the skills that they've been working on in group or um, look at the skills that might be helpful in the moment. And then from a DBT perspective, the staff practices the skill with the patient. They do it together and then review together how it was helpful for them. So uh, DBT is a very interactive uh, approach where we aren't prescribing a skill to a patient. We're actually practicing the skill with the patient. We're seeing how it works, suggesting adaptations, reviewing uh, the helpfulness. So perfect. They are the patients use it real time in treatment for what they're experiencing inside. Absolutely. Absolutely. The idea is that they start to use those skills here and then they take those skills with them as they return back out into the real world. Okay. What have we seen so far in terms of I guess results? Do the the patients seem to like a model like this or what how do, what do the patients experience? You know, we haven't done a formal outcome study as of yet that's in the works. Uh, what we do see in the discharge uh, surveys that are completed by each of the patients that complete programming is that the DBT 12-step skills are very helpful, that they're beginning to learn and apply healthy coping skills in situations where they would have acted in a way that was less effective in the past. Patients that return for alumni functions or even for the weekly alumni meeting often stop me and uh, let me know how helpful the skills were for them and specifically how they've used them uh, in their recovery. Interestingly, I received an email from a patient uh, just a couple of weeks ago who had a very, very long uh, detox uh, from methadone. It took about two and a half years for her to get off of methadone after she completed our program, and she wanted to thank me for the skills that she learned because she said that was really key to her being able to tolerate any distress that she felt in this really long, protracted uh, period of coming off of methadone. And she's about to graduate uh, from college with a bachelor's degree in um, human services. 
Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So that's, that's like, that sounds like a wonderful success story. Yes. Well, okay, very good. So let me summarize a little bit of what we're talking about. We have a, an, a novel, innovative curriculum that integrates principles of DBT and 12-step, while at the same time seeing that those models had a lot in common anyways, that they were like a really good fit for each other. When people are on the inpatient side of the CEDAR treatment program, they oftentimes are going through significant crises. They might be relatively out of practice with being able to cope and feel resilient in their life, and they need a lot of good guidance with this. We help them work at real time uh, with a lot of uh, even uh, specific tasks for them, a lot of skill building, and it sounds like they really appreciate it. You see it as uh, pretty valuable for them. Yes. And, you know, I would add, Dr. Failing, that some of the people that come here to CEDAR really haven't learned uh, a lot of healthy uh, coping skills. It's not that they've stopped using them. It's that their uh, substance use started at such a young age that they really didn't have the opportunity to have healthy coping skills taught to them or modeled uh, in their adolescence or young adult life. And so many, for many patients, they're learning these skills for the first time. Oh, sure. Like a, so almost like we have a blank slate for being able to really guide them in a good way. Yes, absolutely. Experience the compassionate care of CEDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation. Located at the University of Colorado Hospital, we manage complex health needs in addition to addiction. To learn more, visit cedarcolorado.org. Well, very good. So we're talking a little little bit about uh, the DBT 12-step model used on the inpatient side. I know a lot of our approach with patients is to try to eventually bridge them into outpatient care, and they can be functioning really well. Do you feel like there are some ways in which you could use a model like this in an outpatient setting? Absolutely. So this uh, integration model is used in uh, our outpatient setting at University of Colorado Department of Psychiatry. We have a dual diagnosis group that focuses on the DBT 12 steps, and it's a 16-week curriculum that uh, patients uh, engage in. It's also integrated into our IOP at CEDAR. In addition, this curriculum has been purchased all across the United States and is used in intensive outpatient settings, partial hospitalization settings, in community mental health settings, with people who have a primary substance use disorder, with people who have a dual diagnosis. And then it's also uh, used in the drug court system uh, and the jail system uh, throughout the United States. Oh, very fascinating. And I, I imagine uh, with the, yeah, the criminal justice system, they're probably looking for uh, good guidance to uh, like a, a good scaffolding for treatment. So I bet that this offers them quite a bit. Absolutely. So the state of Tennessee last year purchased the curriculum to use throughout the state with their drug court system in uh, outpatient groups and in groups that occur within um, uh, jails throughout the state. Well, very good. Biri, can you comment a little bit on any sort of struggles we see? So are there uh, patients 
that we might work with who might have a hard time with uh, an approach like this or a, a hybrid model? Sure. You know, we um, we do see patients that have challenges in this group, and there's a variety of reasons why patients might have a challenge. Uh, the first is that they may be having some cognitive difficulties or thinking difficulties, processing difficulties related to coming off the substances they were using prior to coming in uh, uh, for admission. The other is that we may see patients at times be um, resistant to learning the skills because they might be in what we call active addict mind, meaning that the impulse is to dismiss, uh, deny, annihilate anything that challenges keeping that active addiction alive. The good thing about this uh, curriculum is that we've got a lot of different skills. There's 79 different skills and different ways to use them. So if a skill, particular skill doesn't work for a patient or a patient doesn't uh, find any benefit in it, we ask them uh, just to leave it and go to another skill. Um, If it's sort of working for them or working sometimes will help them adapt the skill to work more effectively for them. And then if it's working, we say do more of it. So we really don't struggle with patients to keep doing something that they um, are struggling with. We find uh, different skills for them to use. Do you feel, is there a specific skill that you would really try to use if you had somebody who was quite resistant or somebody who is almost like devaluing or discrediting the the whole approach. Would is there a skill that you, you think you would kind of help guide them? Sure. You know, the skill that pops into my mind is the skill of radical acceptance. Radical acceptance is kind of an abstract skill, and it's a really important skill that comes in handy for any of us when we're having trouble having acceptance of what is. So radical acceptance is the skill of of accepting what is as it is without trying to minimize it, manipulate it, change it, deny it in any way. Understanding that we may not like everything that's happening with us, and it's really important for us to know what the truth is, what's really happening in front of us. I like the use of the word radical with that because to truly accept something, especially when we don't like it um, or we don't understand it, is a pretty radical act. So that's a skill that we uh, will often insert into the curriculum if we have a group of patients, for example, that are not um, really... um, that are struggling with the programming. Yes, they, and I know we, we see this all the time that um, that the the recovery approach or a healthcare approach for people can actually be seen as quite threatening to them because it really represents change. It's really they are we're helping them change their life uh, because it's unmanageable. They're they're going to die or th- things are completely out of control. And, um, but we see this all the time, that people still have a lot of resistance to that change. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, DBT really focuses on uh, addressing, balancing acceptance and change, not acceptance versus change, so that we are able to see all the truths that exist and we can move forward even when we don't have full acceptance or, sorry, agreement with what's going on. Biri, um, can you describe to our listeners how we would define just a dialectic itself? I know that that's the original, the initial word of DBT dialectical. 
What is a dialectic? Uh, yeah, so a dialectic exists when we have two opposing thoughts or ideas around the same person, place, thing, or situation that are both true. They may seem at first glance to be incongruent or dissonant, in opposition in some kind of way, or opposite, um, and they both are uh, accurate. So for example, I can, um, when I'm in an argument with a friend of mine, love my friend and be angry with my friend at the same time. That's a dialectic. More specific to people who are here for treatment, um, a common dialectic is I um, love the way I feel when I drink and I hate the way I feel when I drink. Both. They're both true. Oh, interesting. So there's uh, mutually exclusive, uh, but coexisting. Right. And so in with dialectics, the goal is to value both truths and find the balance between the two. If I just focus on one side of the dialectic, I'm not telling my whole story or acknowledging all of my truths. And for some of our patients, for example, if my dialectic is I'm a good person and in my act of addiction I stole from my family, uh, if I get stuck on the idea of uh, guilt and shame related to stealing from my family, it's going to be very hard to move successfully through programming because we can get stuck in guilt and shame. On the other hand, if I just think I'm a good person and I don't recognize the consequences of my behavior and active addiction, I'm really minimizing the uh the seriousness of the disease that I have and how I might have harmed relationships with people that I really care about. So in the dialectic, I can balance the idea that I'm a good person and, you know, when I use, it really takes me outside of my values and my beliefs. So when you, when you introduce a concept of a dialectic and an approach like this with a patient, does it, uh, does it tend to be a little bit calming to them or, I mean, do they almost, um, even like their body language, and um, what do you what do you see? Yeah, um, you know, being able to recognize dialectics, then practice identifying dialectics, and then bringing back their experience in individual sessions and in groups is really powerful. You'll see patients' emotional dysregulation or emotional intensity really start to. Uh, get balanced so that patients are able to live in that gray area rather than in living in the black and white extremes. And so they are much more likely to be able to listen, to consider what's happening in their lives, to apply the dialectics when they start to feel themselves being pulled to those all or nothing thinking extremes. And it's a really great way to engage people in understanding more about themselves and uh, the, how the disease of addiction has affected them. I know that that is such a, a variable we look at so much as engagement, like just helping people experience that, that treatment has something to offer them. It's there, there can be a middle path mm-hmm. um, where they just feel a little bit more validated, a little bit more comfortable. They can start to build a sense of trust that clinicians like us want to be helpful and are we're, we're trying to help them with overall health problems. Uh, very good. If you had somebody who was listening who wanted to learn more about this or wanted to find ways to, to embrace some of these principles, where would you guide them? 
Well, you know, the curriculum that I've developed is really meant for organizations to use with our clients. And so um, I would actually suggest that uh, listeners look at uh, DBT literature that exists in the community that is uh, de- has been developed directly for the consumer or family member to use. And there are uh, several different authors that have written um, workbooks that can be used quite easily. So Dr. Linehan has a workbook that can be used. Uh, Dr. Moonshine, who... Um, which always makes me smile because that's a funny name for somebody who works in addiction, <laughs> um, yeah. has a workbook that's, um, that is focused on working with adolescents with substance use disorder, though I found that it's really helpful with adults as well. And um, an author named Lane Peterson, who's a therapist uh, in the community, also has a curriculum that can be used by the uh, uh, consumer. So, th- so that's important to know. I mean, this was we use this on an institutional level to deliver uh, kind of pretty innovative and pretty advanced healthcare. But the principles are consumer available as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things that I talk with patients about as they're leaving Cedar is to. I, my hope is that they will stay engaged in 12-step fellowship and continue to learn the DBT skills that they've learned here. And then um, I also encourage them as they're in 12-step meetings to really notice when people are talking about DBT skills and using them effectively. Um, and so they can uh, bring DBT skills into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, Narcotics Anonymous, etc., and then they can also bring uh, those um, 12-step skills back out into the real world as well. I believe that that is one of the uh, great positives of things like this. Sometimes uh, treatment and options for people's recovery can feel a little bit siloed, I guess, um, like different uh, communities that are in their own thing, like 12-step being its own thing or DBT being like in a therapist's office. And it doesn't have to be that way. We can we can design things that involve a lot of integration, that people can use all of it to be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So if we use the philosophy from Narcotics Anonymous that recovery is having a life worth living, then we can help uh, people as they're transitioning out of intense treatment back out into the real world to really develop a balanced plan that helps them build that life worth living with strategies that they can use on their own and with support from various uh, uh, people to um, really uh, live a life that is worthwhile and healthy and in balance. Barry, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners about this? I mean, uh, Barry is an expert on at our CEDAR program. She sits down with people individually. She helps uh, them really succeed in their treatment. If we have anybody who is having a hard go of it, uh, it's very common that we'll get them uh, connected with Barry. Um, a lot based on her, I would say, even your demeanor in working with people and and being very validating and also at the same time helping to promote real change. Like we um, we integrate it quite well. What else can what else can you tell me? I guess what I would have to say, Dr. Failing, is that 
the concepts of DBT regarding validation and acting non-judgmentally are incredibly important. And so it's really uh, important for us ourselves not to judge ourselves too harshly. And as Dr. Linehan says, when we find ourselves judging, don't judge our judging, meaning that it's important to observe that sometimes we do go to judgment and that we don't have to get stuck in that judging place. When we judge uh, excessively, we move into a more emotionally uh, intense state of mind, which usually isn't particularly helpful. Um, validating, acknowledging other people's experience, and even acknowledging our own experience is really helpful as well. So that when we are supporting people in moving through recovery, um, whether we are professionals or family members or we ourselves are moving through recovery, if we remember to be kind and gentle towards ourselves, not judge ourselves or others too harshly in this process, realizing that we are are all a work in process, and um, we can really be much more successful in the long term in building that life worth living in recovery. Well, this has been wonderful. This has been very helpful. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us on our podcast here, Barry. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Through the Trees, the Cedar Addiction Treatment Podcast. Please visit cedarcolorado.org for a wide array of educational content about the disease of addiction and the science of recovery. If you or a loved one are considering CEDAR and the University of Colorado Hospital for treatment, please speak with our admissions team at 720-848-3000. CEDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation. Helping people build a life of recovery.